Hello and welcome to a TRK podcast. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you're having a good week. Uh, I haven't been on in a while actually. Well, a couple of days. Monster haven't been playing. They didn't play last weekend. Um, so the focus has been on the big Leinster game coming up on Saturday. That's something I'm quite looking forward to actually. Uh, it's a game against a very good opponent um, with tangible stuff on the line from a Munster perspective. The quarterfinal is guaranteed, but... Uh, what comes after that is uh, to be decided on Saturday night. Uh, and that's the exciting thing from my point of view. So, with that, this is kind of a TRK podcast slash TRK mailbag. Because it reflects something that I have been getting questions on and hearing about um, for the last number of months. It's to do with Monsters Front Row. But not specifically the guys who are currently playing for Munster. The idea of recruiting somebody into that front row and the challenges and the just basically the, the what is the the actual way you go about signing guys like that. So we'll start with just a little bit of clarity on the Irish system and why it is slightly different from a team like we'll say Saracens or you know whoever. Uh, in the Irish system, every signing that needs to be like that needs to be brought in or, or that is brought in is approved by David Nusifora. David Nusifora, it's probably best to describe him as something of a kind of a, an overall director of rugby for uh, the Irish provinces and the Irish national team. Although there isn't any on-field, um, there isn't any on-field responsibilities. His main task is to create an environment where elite level options are produced for the Irish national side. The Irish national team funds the entirety of the game in this country. Um, The provinces generate their own incomes as well, but the vast majority of the money that the IRFU use to run everything comes from the national side. Sponsorships surrounding them, ticket sales, it, it, it all comes back to the Irish national side. So, from the IRFU's point of view, the most important um, uh, team in the country is the Irish national side. Now, if you're David Nusifora, there are key areas that you have to look out for with regards to player development. This relates to also areas in the game that might trend in certain areas. Um, because... The requirements for what decides who a good prop is, for example, kind of changes and has changed certainly over the last number of years. If we go back to uh, 2012, I think it was, there was an extremely humiliating performance in Twickenham by Ireland in the Six Nations where after a rake of injuries to a guy like, I think Mike Ross was injured and a couple of other guys were injured, we had a makeshift tight head prop um, starting for Ireland uh, in, in that game. Tom Court, I think it was. Uh, he's a guy who could cover both, but the days of being a guy who could equally cover both are, bar the odd freak, mostly gone. So, in that um, in that game, Ireland were humiliated with the scrum being a real point of contention. It actually got so bad that Mon- uh, Ireland r- uh, put out a job interview or a job r- uh, ad for a scrum coach that was picked up elsewhere it was humiliating um but it came down to 
a number of guys being injured and as a result a makeshift situation had to happen and if you look at Ireland over the last number of years I'd say we'd say since professionalism mostly uh, producing props has been a consistent I wouldn't say problem but something that's been uh, tricky for the Irish provinces as a whole you look at John Hayes for example was like arguably one of the most important players in Ireland for the guts of the entire decade of the 20 of the, of the 2000s um to the point where like you know you look at uh, Tony Buckley was in there as well that's the type of guy that Ireland were trying to build and trying to get into the national squad now you look at the Mike Ross era which kind of started when he came back from Harlequins he was a really reliable player for uh, for Leinster and then for Ireland vital actually you could say his uh, availability was of massive importance to to both Leinster and Ireland but as the time started to push on the game started to evolve uh, the role of what a tight head prop is expected to do has changed also the number of penalties that are conceded at the scrum has gone down since a high of around I think it was it was at its highest around 2000 between 20, 2008 and 2011 so with the scrum having changed as well in, in the interim they've completely depowered the hit it, it it now is a kind of a far more technical um it's a far more technical uh, uh set piece than what it would have been maybe previously where there was a lot of onus on winning the hit and whatever happened and afterwards kind of happened after the hit without the hit it's kind of it, it, it's rare you see a game totally decided by the scrum like even then like you look at the most recent one which you might have in your head is the the monster versus Toulouse game where monster conceded and had a lot of trouble in the scrum and conceded a few penalties there monster still should have won that game despite the issues at the scrum and you could say the exact same for uh leinster versus leicester and uh Le leinster versus Toulouse. both those games showed there were some issues there in the scrum but it didn't actually matter and that's the thing so with that the requirement of what a top level prop is expected to be has changed now you're there is a certain level that you're expected to be at when it comes to the scrum you cannot be a washout in the scrum you absolutely can't you have to be a certain level of competence in the scrum and for guys who are going to be really strong scrummaging focused guys like there's always a role for those guys but when it comes to Munster as the the start of this podcast was there's been talk and a lot of talk of are Munster going to sign uh, a prop or another hooker um, ahead of the new season as far as I'm aware Munster's business is done as of now that can change one of the guys who have been talked about consistently over the last number of months has been Oliver Yeager he's a guy who is from Ireland he's Irish qualified but he's been playing the vast majority of his rugby in uh, Canterbury and playing for the Crusaders. Now, he is a guy, because of his um, Irish qualified uh, nature, he is Irish, of course, um, you also have a situation where he is 6'4", he's north of 120 kg, he's playing for the Crusaders, so there is a, a kind of a, a, an idea that, well, geez, we should be getting that, that guy back into the country with Ireland, of course, being the main uh, kind of factor in that. Um, but the actual negotiations of dealing with uh, a player like that to sign a guy like that 
is very, very complicated. And I wanted to go into some of the, the detail around how you go about signing a guy and in particular, signing a prop. Now, when you're looking at the current market for, we'll say, loose head props, tight head props, tight head props being the most, the more valuable of the two at the moment, you're mainly looking for physical profile first and foremost. There are a lot of props playing the game of rugby union in every league, um, but their top level ability is decided by, more often than not, their athletic capacity, their physical stature. Used to be before that if you were a tight head prop, it would be okay for you to be around five foot, 10, 11, you know, just barely tipping six foot. And there is some guys who are in and around that height now. But part of the reason why uh, coaches, both in the past and currently, are looking at guys who are way taller, six three, six four. You see some guys six five even, is because of the lineout. Uh, it certainly causes issues issues for you in theory in the scrum, but if you have a tall prop, uh, be they six three, six four, whatever else, um, as long as their scrummaging is pretty good, they become a really dangerous operator in the lineout. Again, if you're taller. The line of your shoulders is going to be higher, which means that you can lever your uh, your, your your jumper in the line-out higher, quicker, which allows you to play a bigger line-out in total. If you're taller also, generally, and if you've got the body frame for it, which is, again, a non-negotiable, you are going to be somebody who can put on the type of size and weight that we see in a lot of the top guys at the moment. A lot of the, the, the focus around Ty Furlong, for example, who I'll speak about in more detail in a minute, comes down to his skill set, the quality of his passing. His passing is incredibly good, but he's also around 6'1". He's 125 kg, I think, as his last listing, which is, again, north of that 120 kg mark, which is what you kind of have to be these days. Like, as in, there's no real way around that, you know? Um, But he's also incredibly athletic at that size as well. So his passing game takes him up to the next level where I'd be comfortable saying that he is the best tight head prop in the world and because he's one of those very rare props who is also a heavy power carrier which is or a heavy power forward whatever you want whatever you want to distinguish it as which is again quite rare for a tight head prop because again to get a guy like Tyke Furlong to be the player he is today that doesn't necessarily just happen overnight. The Tyke Farlong that we look at today and can appreciate, even over the last two or three years, as being a guy that, like, that guy's plainly the best in the world, you know? That doesn't just happen. You need to put in so much time, so much work, and have so much patience because guys who have that size and frame, but also that explosivity, can be a little bit more prone to injury. Tyke Furlong did have a few knocks and injuries at the start of his career that limited his ability to be available to play the games that they wanted him to play. If you go back to the contract of the or the, the contracting cycle of the, the kind of the mid two thousands, from around twenty thirteen to maybe 2015, 2016, maybe the year after, that's when uh, Tyke Furlong kind of emerged in and around twenty three, twenty four years of age. Now he still needed seasoning at that point, and, and I think he didn't really reach his capacity until he was maybe 24 25 years of age the season afterwards the year he went to the lions that takes time and patience but in that time you still need to have a prop (laughs) and if you're a side who wants to win things 
they're kind of like it's, it's sometimes there is a kind of a non-negotiable there where you need to have that size and quality in the front row now again you go and you look at a lot of different teams who have won over the years especially in europe you look at the the quality of the of the front row is typically a standout feature you know again you look at leinster in 2018 you have you know keen healy you had um tyke furlong uh, andrew porter on the bench for them now they've switched that around a small bit but you look at, at saracens you would make of unipola jamie george vincent cock uh, the quality is like uh, across the board typically of teams who win the front row typically is where you have a lot of high quality players and as a result that is expensive i've said before in a number of different podcasts that power is expensive and that's certainly true when it comes to your tight head props if you look at a guy like Tyke Furlong at the moment, I'd say you could make an argument that he is up there with one of the highest paid players in the world at the moment. You look at his uh, recent contract scenario where uh, prior to this season, he had signed a one-year extension. This was the middle of COVID times. Um, from what you hear, uh, Tyke Furlong was actually very, very close to leaving Leinster and Ireland during that last contract negotiation not the one he's just signed he signed a new three-year deal but prior to that with the one-year extension there was a real worry that he was about to leave and you look at why that would be because if you're a guy like tyke furlong with his qualities and his unique uh circumstances his, his unique um uh, ability to influence every facet of the game really you need to get paid because the money coming in from elsewhere will often dictate what your budget ceiling is. So you flash forward now to um, Munster. Uh, I think over the last two or three seasons, I think you could say that one of the main issues that Munster have had has been that um, the power profile of our front row is not elite. Now, that's not to say that there's no value in these players. Of course there is. The players who are there have specific skills i think that monster have used over the course of the last couple of seasons to kind of pair up certain qualities in a game like you look at nile scannell for example when he broke through first he was a guy who was a big nuts and bolts hooker he was a good scrummager a good lineout player uh, a guy who was a, a decent support forward around the field had good size um and like the the set piece stuff was kind of what was his biggest strength and you look at his kind of i think his breakout season would have been that 2016 2017 season um where he was uh really really good i think he got i think he's got something like 18 irish caps i think uh, i think i have that in my head he got a number of irish caps anyway you might remember his uh his work on the irish tour of australia i think that was back in 2018 i think it was um, he was very, very good on that tour as well. But the requirements of what you need from a hooker have kind of changed since then. Now, Niles Scanless had a few injuries as well. But when a team kind of breaks out, you look at, again, you look at the teams around Munster in the time who've been winning championships. They've, they've tended to have that explosive hooker option. You know, you look at uh, Camille Shah, for example. Uh, at Racing, you look at uh, Pierre Bouguerit at uh, at La Rochelle. You look at Ronan Kelleher um, at at Leinster. Dan Sheehan, to an extent, although he's a different type of player, I would say. But you look at all these guys, like you know Marchand at Toulouse. They have a certain profile, 
And you would look at them all and go, look, they're all decent set piece guys. But a lot of what they do, a lot of what they do best happens around the field physically. So with elements of the set piece game being slightly depowered, again, you have to be of a certain level, okay? But you look at the work of a, of a, of a Marchand, of a Ronan Kelleher, of a uh, Bougarit, for example, like these guys, they all, like the majority of their work uh, where they really excel happens outside the set piece, for example. Now again, look, a hooker who can't throw the ball in, who has issues there, will always get found out. But to an extent, you can get a guy to a certain level if they've got the physical characteristics. But again, you are limited in that position by the availability of other guys in that position, the relative market, and sometimes outliers can set a kind of a ceiling for uh, the, the, the wage structure in a position where... If you're a guy who's got certain qualities, you can kind of, and with the, the contract that you might receive from whoever it is who, who signs you, you can kind of set a top end for where a lot of other guys who might have similar profiles to you are thinking, well, you know, maybe I should be getting paid a little bit more. You see elements of like positional value can change depending on the prominence of certain players in that, uh, in, in that position and not just at your club, but just in the game in general. So if you're Munster looking at the, at the guys who are there, I spoke about Niall Scannell, but you look at a guy like John Ryan, for example. A lot of people were asking, like, why was John Ryan, like, why was he allowed to go to Wasps this offseason? Why was that allowed to happen? It's not that it's allowed to happen. I think in an ideal situation, whoops, Munster would ideally keep a hold of John Ryan. He's still a, obviously a very good player. You look at his... Um, uh, his kind of his status though that's a guy who has um a number of irish caps was playing for ireland up until relatively recently um is a noted really good scrummager which again don't mistake the fact that i'm saying that that, that like that you just have to be a kind of a, a competent scrummager to be a success these days like you have to be like as in a, for for a guy who's a good scrummager like john ryan there'll always be a space for you and you look at Wasps, they've invested quite a bit in their tight head roster this upcoming season. They've got Vincent Cock and they've got John Ryan. Like that's a, a very, very impressive um, one-two punch there that gives you a little bit of everything with regards to what you could want from a tight head prop. That comes with expense though. So when you sign a guy like that, there is expense that is that is that is required by it. So like when you're looking at, at Munster's decision making this year. They have a number of young players who they're looking to try to build on next season. But with that, you've also got two experienced guys currently contracted in Stephen Archer and John Ryan. In an environment where Munster were asked and, and, and are kind of under pressure to reduce their provincial budget, who would be the most expensive out of the two senior props to retain? Would it be the guy who has you know uh, a number of Irish caps or a guy who's only got one or two? Uh, or the guy who is older. That's the thing. Uh, Stephen Archer signed a one-year deal and one-year extension to take him up to the end of next season. Uh, John Ryan is a guy who could and, and, and should actually be able to sign himself a two-year deal at Munster or whoever. When Munster weren't able to offer those terms, he has every right to go and try and sign a deal elsewhere. And Wasps came in with a good option. They took it. There you go. So, like... From Munster then, and, and certainly in the last number of, of, of weeks and months, and you could even say seasons, the onus comes on how do Munster try to answer, certainly, 
the power profile that, that Leinster seem to have built in their front row. How do you answer that? And the question is that it's very, very difficult, or the answer is that it's very, very difficult. Um, in an ideal world, you would produce your own tight head props who have, or loose head prop or whoever, who has that power forward profile in their game. But that is incredibly difficult. There are no tight furlongs growing on trees out there. There's not even any Andrew Porters growing on trees out there. So looking at a group of young players and going, well, we need you to just become Tyg Furlong, if that's okay. It's far, far, far more complicated than that. Um, there is just any number of physical reasons, of, of just like demographical reasons, why it's quite difficult to get guys who have that level of athleticism, of physical stature, and then uh, competence for rugby, which is another thing as well. So you look at that and go, how do you... Uh, uh, answer guys like that well you just go and sign guys in and that again is a thing that's easier said than done I spoke at the start of this podcast about the Irish system David Nusifora I spoke about the uh, incident in Twickenham in 2012 Uh, when you look at the the realities of that David Nusifora has put real focus on making sure that there are as many Irish qualified props playing in the Irish provinces as possible. Typically, it's been incredibly difficult to get a non-Irish qualified prop um, permission to sign for an Irish province. You can probably think of the last number of years, there hasn't really been that many. You look at Michael Alala Toa, for example, at Leinster, a Samoan captain. But again, there's a heavy context behind that as well. Um, When... Leinster were given permission to sign Michael Alatoa. It was because Leinster were taking on the risk of moving Andrew Porter from Tighthead over to Loosehead. That was something where Leinster, as such, were doing a favour for Ireland. So they got permission to sign Michael Alatoa. And also, Andrew Porter went on to a central contract as well. So the expense of signing a guy like Michael Alatoa, who would not be coming in cheap, was something that was going to be covered by the fact that Leinster as a province, wouldn't be playing for, or they wouldn't be paying for either Porter or Furlong from next season on. They weren't paying for Furlong anyway, but they certainly wouldn't be paying for Porter from, we'd say, from July of this season. He was on a provincial contract, but has not recently signed a central contract, as you would expect for a guy of his importance and physical stature. Now, you could say, are there question marks over Andrew Porter's scrummaging? Yes, there is. But do they matter all that much for the vast majority of games, no. Even big, important games, it might not even matter. So as long as he's still uh, is still able to develop, and he's still providing the sort of physicality around the field that Leinster's game is, is almost built on, the scrummaging, to an extent, doesn't really matter. You look at Leinster's improvement since the Porter switch, and it's meant that they can play with that level of power and physicality all the time, rather than having to mine their resources, essentially, We've got two guys who probably could be starting in Porter and Furlong. When when uh, Porter was a tight hit exclusively, you couldn't play Furlong and Porter in the same team. Like they would, like they, like they basically one replaced the other. So with that, there was a number of contractual reasons why it made a whole ton of sense to move Porter over because the idea of having two centrally contracted tight heads who, when it came to big games, would only be playing maybe a 50-30 split. 
was unusual and it's not something that I think the IRFU would have wanted. Porter goes back to Lucid though, all of a sudden everything makes a ton of sense. Uh, contractually, you've got uh, two depth charts sorted out. There's a bit of wiggle room on both sides, both provincially and nationally. It makes a ton of sense. So as long as Andrew Porter turned out to not be a complete washout liability on the Lucid side of the scrum, that would be a complete success. And it has been a complete complete success. Despite some tough days at the office for Porter at the scrum, for the most part, it hasn't really mattered. So if you're Munster looking at this, you go, well, look, can Munster just sign a guy? Like, as I said, it's very difficult to get permission. Munster have, over the last number of years, gone looking for a, a kind of a, a non-Irish qualified top-end tight head prop to come in to look to try to fill up that depth chart and to give a bit of top-end quality there. Because, again, it's not that we're talking about that John Ryan is in quality or that Stephen Archer is in quality. They've both got good qualities that are, like, when you combine them together, allow you to manage the vast majority of games. Like, you look at Stephen Archer, for example, a guy who's a good scrummager. I like, I'd say, I'd say like, look at it and you go, like, as in, when's the last time you can look at, at Stephen Archer getting really badly done over in the scrum? Maybe you're looking at that Toulouse game under massive physical pressure. But most of the time, again, he's pretty good. You look at his mauling, his line-out work, generally of a very high standard. His work around the field is good. It's decent. You look at John Ryan, really aggressive technical scrummager. Uh, you look at his work around the field. It's, it's, it, it's improved, I feel, over the last while. He's also back up around 120 kg, which, given his medical condition, is tough. But you look at that and go, look, there's like there's two good players there. You can see, well, why are they starting this year over Salanoa and Knox? Salanoa has been injured, unfortunately, for the vast majority of the season. Knox has had, like again, a couple of niggles, a couple of injuries, COVID. Uh, and you're, 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 as the season develops, it's kind of tough to get back into a rhythm. A guy like James French has also had a ton of injuries as well. And like, but that happens with younger players, especially younger tight head props. They go through periods where they will pick up a ton of knocks. And I think it happened to an extent to, to Tyg Furlong when he was building up. The only guy it hasn't really happened to is Andrew Porter. He's had a few injuries, sure, but not stuff that's been, you know, having him in and having him out and stuff like that. He's generally been incredibly durable, but that's a complete outlier in this game, a real outlier. So you look at the at, at, at Munster's situation and you go, uh, they've tried to sign guys. They've uh, from everything I've heard from I think three or four different people now. Uh, Munster had been uh, in advanced contract talks with a number of top top tight head props over the last number of years, from around 2015 on, to bring guys in to shore up that area of of Munster's pack. And each and every time, they have had trouble getting the permission to get the player actually into the country. Munster, prior to 2015-2016, had BJ Botha. Um, BJ Botha was brought in now. Why was he allowed in? He's the other guy outside of Mike Lalatoa. Why was he allowed in? Because at that point, when he signed, Munster had um, uh, provided John Hayes and Tony Buckley, I think, to the Irish national side. John Hayes had to retire. Um, you look at Tony Buckley... Again, I think he's a guy who, if he was around today at 24, 25, he would be an incredibly valuable player. I think once the hit gone from the scrum, the hit was something that always caught Tony Buckley. Uh, I think without the hit these days, he is an absolute superstar, I feel. I think you look at his, his profile as a player, I think it would suit today's tight head prop down to the ground. 
what a valuable player that would be anyway that's a hypothetical uh so bj both came in now at the time you're signing a guy around that uh, around that level of money um you're looking at around between 250 at the lower end to around 350 in the mid end uh, and we're talking about the, like of, of the top level type of player here up to in the modern era uh, for a guy like Tyg Furlong, you could be talking 600, 700k, maybe a little bit lower, higher, and the, the, like the like the timing of the contract as well is another thing. Like, if you're signing a guy, a non-Irish qualified prop, for example, you'll be generally looking at them um, on a one-year deal or a two-year deal. Uh, one-year deal is for if you have a younger player who you feel is nearly ready to step in and be a top guy for you, but... There are some issues you might have with some elements of his fitness, some elements of his game that you want to give him a bit of breathing room to develop on. Not necessarily to have to have him go out and be the guy straight away for you. Like the idea of sink or swim doesn't really exist when it comes to the time frame that it takes to develop a guy, we'll say like a Keenan Knox or Roman Salanoa. You don't want to, after building these guys up for three, four seasons, maybe longer, to then throw them in at the deep end when you figure they're almost there we just need to get them over the line a little bit maybe another season of a kind of a, a lower depth chart position and they'll be physically ready to be who we need them to be the season afterwards you can look at Munster's uh, logic behind the signing of Jason Jenkins over the uh, ahead of last season and why he was always going to be a one-year deal because you know when you look at his signing he was signed as a back row but he was always going to be a component of the back five be it either starting or on the bench and you look at at, at Munster we had a guy like Tom O'Hearn highly rated a guy who you know we've we, we, been on internal um IRFU seminars and stuff like that like they're talking about like as one of their big success stories in the NTS system Thomas O'Hearn a guy like who has so much potential but needed time needed time like there was people last year were talking about oh he should be thrown in from the start next season the, the guy wasn't physically ready and you look at his his record this season in for games out for games in for games out for games in only the last number of weeks i would say he's managed to build up the durability that i felt he needed to be a week-to-week option and when it comes to the tight head prop situation or loose head prop it can be exactly the same so like the like the the, the, the physical frame you need the explosivity you need that kind of tends to, to, to add to, because again, these are these are very heavy guys, guys who are 120 kg plus are coming up to it. So with that, you end up in a situation where if you're not uh, like, and, and, and sometimes you can be completely prepared uh, and not can keep you out for two or three weeks, you've got to recover, you've got to rehab, and all that time is going. Again, you look at guys like Stephen Archer and John Ryan, they're veterans at this stage. They're able to go week to week to week because they're conditioned to do so. Go back and look at BJ Botha. When he came in, he played a ton of games for Munster. At that stage, he was a highly experienced player and paid accordingly. Now, when you look at a guy like Tyke Furlong, he would be an outlier, I would say, with regards to his current value. Uh, his last contract that he was on was on around just north of 500k. You look at his three-year deal that he signed right now with the IRFU, a central contract, I don't think it'll be massively improved on that. I would say maybe you could look at maybe 600K over three years. He could certainly get more elsewhere, I would say, and plenty of people would pay him. But the three-year deal gives you an extra bit of security. Like a one-year deal is more for, well, we'll use you to build up a guy to the next level. I think when Furlong signed that in 2020, 
2021 i think the idea was well we'll sign this now and we'll see where we're at next year after you know covid is ideally gone and you can you know you can start to put together a package that makes sense to a guy like furlong who honestly deserves to be paid like the best in the world because i think he is and the same goes with andrew porter that's a guy who when you look at his physical profile his general availability the kind of importance he has to leinster's game plan that's an ireland's game plan because they're 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 sometimes kind of one and the same that's another incredibly valuable player because there's not a whole lot of guys out there who can duplicate what those guys do so that makes them incredibly valuable so it's not outside the realm of possibility that you could be seeing a tyke farline being paid 600k maybe a little bit more and an Andrew Porter getting paid 500k, 450, 550, that to me would seem like market value. So you look at that and go, that's the type of ceiling we're talking about here from a money perspective. But then it's not; it's a little bit more complicated than that too. So if you're going after a guy like Ali Yeager, for example, and you're saying to him, look, we want you to come back to Ireland. Now, there's obviously no room for him at, at Leinster, um, because the value they would you would need to get a guy like Jaeger back would be fairly inflated, I would say, for a number of different reasons. If he's coming back, and the IRFU will say are talking to him about, about coming back, which again, I'm only just hypothesizing now. I know Munster were talking to him, but when it comes to the, um, the situation that you're looking at, that's an expensive contract to put together. You've got to, get, you've got to bring a guy back, right? So if you're an Oliver Jaeger, you're looking at... Tyke Furlong just signed a new deal. Uh, he is the number one guy for Ireland. Like, there's no question that Tyke Furlong, if everybody's fit, Tyke Furlong, one of the first names down on the on, on the team sheet. So with that, you're coming back in as a backup to Furlong. This is something that the IRFU are quite concerned about, I think, in that the guys who are behind Furlong are not really of the level that you would want them to be to be winning six nations certainly in the uh in the environment where we're finding ourselves now up against a resurgent france who've got physical freaks everywhere and then you're looking at world cups but even then you're looking at like because again with the irish national side being the important uh uh like the, the big money spinner in this country that can start to be damaged if ireland for example are losing like two out of three home games in november and then having a bad Six Nations, and then having a bad Summer Tour, and maybe then having a bad World Cup, and then a bad November again after that, that can lead to attendance going down. It can lead to sponsorships dipping. It can lead to some negative coverage, which can lead to sponsorships being kind of in danger because, again, they want to be associated with a winning team. There's a premium for being associated with a winning team. So with that, you're in a situation where uh, it's highly important for the IRFU to get a guy in who can cover in behind Tyke Furlong. When now they had Andrew Porter, that was fine, but that was producing problems problems of its own. Now, if you're Oliver Jaeger and you're and you're talking about Munster or the IRFU, whoever, like you know your value is a little bit more than what it would seem to be on the outside, because like you might say, oh, he, he's coming in to be a bench guy. Not really though. Like, because again, you'd be coming in as a starter for Munster right now. He would be. But you're coming in at, a, at an Ireland level then competing, I suppose, with Tyke Furlong. But you know you're mainly going to be a bench option. So as a result, all the leverage there is with Jaeger. He's on track to qualify as, you know, on, on I think he's already qualified under residency for the All Blacks. 
So he's got that there where they're in a situation where there really are no set in stone answers at, at tight head prop for uh, for the All Blacks. So for that, like you look at the situation there and it's all of a sudden becomes a very expensive contract. Because if you're Oliver Yeager, you're figuring, well, I can offer, I can ask for whatever I want here. Like if I want to get like 450 or 400K per year on a two or even three year deal, why shouldn't I get it? I know Munster need a tight head prop. I also know Ireland need a tight head prop. So from the from uh, Jaeger's perspective, why wouldn't you ask for a ton of money? And 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 you could actually sign because he has signed a deal for Crusaders. I don't think he's on the same money at the Crusaders. I don't think he's on four hundred k a year at the Crusaders. But it's not about uh, what he signs at the Crusaders. It's what it would take for him to move to Ireland again. And to go through the upheaval that comes with that. Like, when you're signing a player, first of all, there is availability. There is tier. Like, what kind of tier of payments? Like, because you might technically be able to say, look, we have 600k lying around. Who will we sign? Who will we sign? You're looking at a tight head prop. You might go, let's go Franz Malherbe, right? Could you sign Franz Malherbe for 600k for a two-year deal? If you're paying him 600k every year, Possibly, yes, that's life-changing money. But with that as well, like you need to look after them coming to your... Cl- so we say, for example, Munster wanted to sign Franz Malherber, right? And I'm not hint, hint, wink, wink, winking here. Like Munster wanted to sign with, say, Franz Malherber, right? How do we go about it? Well, first of all, we've got to go to David Nusifora and make a case why we should be allowed to sign David uh, Franz Malherber. So you might say to him... Uh, because we feel that Keenan Knox and Roman Salanoa are not ready yet. So when uh, Malherba comes in, he will be a big influence on them as players, as guys to both split minutes with. So Malherba does 50 minutes, Knox does 30, or Salanoa does 30, or the other way around. So you, you're, you're, you're learning a lot from that player, and they become better players as a result. And given that both Knox and Salanoa are both Irish qualified, they then become better options for Ireland as a result with that. Uh, Munster's on-field performance, then you would imagine, would improve also, uh, even though Malherba would not be the same type of player as a Furlong, for example, but he has the kind of size and quality and and the, the, the physical presence that you would need, right? You don't all have to be tight Furlongs. You have to be a big, heavy power player. They're, they're the guys who everybody, need, everybody wants right now. But that's the discussion that you would have with David Nusifora. But then you're talking about money. So if you're talking about Franz, talking to Franz Malherba, you're talking to him in Euro, but it's not just about converting whatever his contract currently is in Rand to Euro and then going, look, we'll give you this uh, plus a little bit extra. You've got to make it worth his while. You've got to get a house sorted. You've got to get a car sorted. You've got to get all these things to make it easy for him to move him if he has a partner, if he has kids. You've got to make it easy for them to move to your club to live in your in your place for two years or more, whatever it is, and make it as easy as possible for them to do that. But you're also in a situation where if you're competing with uh, other clubs who are offering the same money and maybe more, it's difficult to get this kind of business done and everybody costs different. So it's an incredibly expensive recruitment, first of all. But again, that comes down to if you're signing a guy who you know 100% is better than the guys you currently have. Like, again, one of the issues that I would have with Oliver Yeager is that while he's a guy who's been on a lot of people's radar for a number of years, like, you could say, given how Michael Alalatoa 
for me has struggled to live with the physicality and some of the some of the tight responsibilities that he has at Leinster even and you're looking at him well he was decisively ahead of Oliver Jaeger last year at the Crusaders kind of makes you wonder if we did say agree a deal with Oliver Jaeger to go look okay look 450 a year we'll give you that for two years and then we'll reassess where we are at that point if you were to sign that deal and it's a provincial deal. That's a huge chunk out of your money. Now, again, if the IRFU are paying it, if it's, a, if it's a central contract, that's their money to an extent. Not really to do with the provincial deal. Because, again, you look at your provincial budget is different from a central contract budget. So, for example, Munster right now have a few central contracts on our books. Uh, Tyg Byrne, uh, Keith Earls, Connor Murray, Peter O'Malley, right? Now, Tyg Byrne is a good example. Up until this season, and even currently for the rest of this season Munster were paying Tigburn from our provincial budget now I know there's uh, there, there's there's blended ones as well where IRFU play a bit and this, the, the province pays a bit but for the most part um, Munster were dealing with Tigburn individually so that was a Munster contract so that came out of Munster's provincial budget but with uh, Tigburn now moving on to a central deal now we have to put up with uh, more IRFU minute managing uh, which can mean when a guy plays or doesn't play um, but with that like you get the bonus of having a guy like that but you don't have to pay for him out of your provincial budget which can free up money elsewhere Leinster have used that advantage really really well and next season they'll have a little bit more space too because they had been paying for Andrew Porter up until now but now he's going on to a provincial deal you look at Robbie Henshaw he's been on a central contract for Certainly since his last deal, Gary Ringrose has just gone on to one as well. They are expenses that you then don't have to take on. And you can spend that money. You can you can make those savings elsewhere. For Leinster, that means that if you've got a provincial deal for Josh van der Fleer, who's a guy who arguably could easily be on a central contract. But again, it's a quite a congested area. And to be fair, there are lots of guys who fill a similar profile to Josh van der Fleer. Separate from a prop, for example... There are lots of guys in and around six foot who are really good athletes, who are really good kind of small forward build players. So his quality kind of almost is irrelevant to an extent, but he's still a very valuable player to Leinster and will be paid as such. He's a guy, when you look at the value of his contract, could easily be on uh, like on the kind of money you would say would typically be, well, geez, that, that, that's a central contract. But that's the value that Josh van der Fleer has to Leinster. Same with guys like uh, Jamison Gibson-Park, James Lowe. These are all guys who are, who are on provincial deals as far as I'm aware. Um, those guys are going to be expensive retentions. So the saving that they'll make on Ringrose, for example, and Porter, that might be eaten up by any contract renewal in the future for James Lowe or for Gibson-Park and or for Josh van der Fleer. So that kind of, 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 of harsh trading is fairly common where if you have a guy taken off your books inflation elsewhere in your in your side um with certain guys moving up like who are obviously playing at a very high level they need to be paid more as a result uh, like they can jump up in your uh, in your in your budgeting and all of a sudden you were expecting to have a whole ton of free extra uh, provincial cap to play around with but now you don't so when i'm talking about cap there is no salary cap as such there is your provincial budget that you have to spend there might be some room for outside funding as well at times which which Munster and Leinster have, have used in the past um but like there is no salary cap except what you have to spend and kind of that's it so you see elements of 
uh, blended contracts for sure. But like when it comes down to the prop situation, if you're going to be signing in a non-Irish qualified player, for example, you would kind of have to go to an outside investor for that, I would say, because the IRFU aren't going to pay for it. There is a misconception out there, for example, that the IRFU are paying for RG Snaman. That is not true. Like, or Damien Delende, not true. IRFU are not paying for him. That's being paid by private investment. So you look at the, uh, the, 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 the equation for David Nusifora is, if we bring in a non-Irish qualified prop, that means that that player will then be playing the majority of big games and important games for that province. Now, it is a two-man position, so you will take that into account as well. But if there is an injury to Tyke Furlong and he's out, who is the next guy up? Who is the next guy who's going to step in and, and kind of anchor that core area of the team for us? So you would look at, right now, that's Finley Bielham, or it's Tom O'Toole, or then all of a sudden you're kind of looking down the, the, the line and you're kind of going, is it Andrew Porter next? Uh, who is it? So if you're looking at Munster this year, to get permission to sign a non-Irish qualified prop, first of all, would be incredibly difficult because there is an onus, certainly with the investment that's gone into date on Roman Salanoa and Keenan Knox, to at least play it out and see how they go next year as primary options, which they will be just by default. If they don't work out, then that's a situation where, right, okay, that player hasn't worked out, so we'd have to try and come to some arrangement then. Be that uh, you get a, a, a move a guy from elsewhere. Because um, again, I think looking at Leinster, uh, you look at some of the guys they have there who are kind of coming up in their younger tight head ranks. And again, when you have young tight head props, they don't necessarily cost all that much, relatively speaking. But when they get to that level of importance, the value starts going up very, very quickly. Uh, because again, it's relative to your your kind of your nat your national situation where you are with like again, and Tyke Furlong is hugely important today, certainly for the next three or four years. Like if you can be a viable backup to Tyke Furlong, not just to split 50-30 with him, but to start games and where he can be rested and you can bring in another guy. Like if Knox and Salanoa work out in that regard, all of a sudden they're incredibly valuable players. And you look at it and you go they've kind of got the profile where you could easily see both guys being that. Like, you look at Roman Salanoa, has the size, the explosivity that you need where he could be a kind of a, again, I've said it before, but a TT Lamisatelli style player, which would be incredibly valuable. That's a guy who Saracens used for, like, for a number of years with a uh, split to position with Vincent Koch really successfully. Like, again, you could say elements of, is Lamisatelli the biggest scrummager going or the best scrummager going? It doesn't have to be. He's got great size, great power, helps you run the field in all manner of ways. And you've got Vincent Koch then to kind of bring you that kind of complete tight head prop experience there as well. Like, they use that really, really well. And I think a lot of sides want to use the position in the same way. And again, Knox and Salanoa can, in potential, give that uh, kind of presence there. I mean, same with James French. That guy just needs a little bit of run uh, of, 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 of uh, a couple of months without an injury. So that's the big factor for me is that while Munster certainly would have liked to sign a guy to come in this summer, first of all, is the budget there for it? And you go, look, unless you're going back to the 10-14 guys and saying, look, could we get a little bit more, more money for this? Which again, is difficult. You don't want to burn those guys out either. You're looking at what's in our provincial budget. And when you look at the guys who we've re-signed this year, some of the guys who we've kind of re-upped, who weren't expiring, um, who are young core players who we wanted to move up, I think, in a tier uh, of a contract level. 
uh, you're looking at it and going, we have to be careful with who we're spending on here and what we're spending on. So if you've got a bit of a windfall, with we won't have to be looking at Ty Burns' wages next year. That could be eaten up pretty quickly when you're boosting a guy like uh, Coombs or Hodnett or some of the other younger players who they're looking to try and renew as well and renew early. So like that's the main factor. And plus, it kind of it, when you look at the, the developmental situation nationally, it's still a core area. And if I'm David Nusifor, I'm thinking, yeah, look, I think a, a, an elite tight head prop certainly would improve Munster. But we have to see how Knox and Salanoa play out because Salanoa has been a project in both clubs, in both Leinster and Munster, while Knox has come in and come up since year one of the academy. Three years. Uh, he's been here the guts of nearly five or six years now. Uh, maybe more, actually. And you want to see how that guy works out. And he's still only 23. And like people get this idea where, oh, well, if they're not being used this season, they have to be washouts. That really isn't true. You look at the way that tighthead props, certainly the guys who are expected to be really, really good, they don't always break through at the age of 22 and then stay there for 10 years or more. It, it is often a long process that can be drawn out and I can have a number of bumps along the way. So I hope that goes some way to explaining elements of signing in a guy and how difficult it can be. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it. So thank you very much for joining me. I'll talk to you again very, very soon.